Hello and welcome to Down With The Patriarchy. I'm Ben Richards. And I'm Elia Jo. He's as white and male as they come. And she, well, she isn't. But together, we're hoping to uncover those marginalised composers we don't know so well. That's right. So listeners, we are back with a bang. Bigger than ever. Boom. We're sorry that it's been so long. We've missed you. It has been a long time. We've been away um, doing things like work because, yeah. you know, for the first 10 weeks of this podcast, me and Ellie had very little to do. Well, yeah, because we weren't doing anything for those 10 weeks. It suddenly all caught up with us, didn't it, Ben? Well, yes, which is why we're doing it all now, um, <laughs> exactly. and, um, which is why it's been a while since our last episode. But we're back today to talk about our first non-composer. Non-composer indeed. We are going to be talking about Jessie Norman, who is a fantastic singer who you've probably heard of. Even if you don't recognise the name, you will have heard something by her. I think this is my week, so I'm going to be running you through a bit of her lifetime and a few... Oh, is it your week? Is it, is it my week? Or is it I your thought it was week? my week. It's is my it? week. But is have it? you done research? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was my week. Oh, I thought it was my week. Shall I keep this in? What? Let's do everything at the exact same time. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure your listeners will have noticed that we take it in turns to do the research for the week in terms of like telling the story. Um, and we didn't really agree before. Well, I think I sort of suggested that I would do it, but that was a while back. Yeah. Um, so I sort of did it... Um, but actually, if Eddie's done it, that means that she's probably got more notes than I have. So it's fine. It means we're both going to know lots. We'll, we'll, I'll, well, do you want to lead and I'll chip in? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, let's do that. Go um, on then. Cool. So, Jessie Norman was born on September the 15th, 1945, in Augusta, Georgia, in America. She grew up in an incredibly musical family. Both her mother and grandmother were pianists and her dad was a singer. And as I was reading this, I just could not stop thinking, this is me, that I'm nowhere near as good at singing. So it's quite embarrassing. But anyway, then um, she actually credits all of her musical kind of training and why she took up a career in music on her religion really because she grew up singing in her baptist church with her family and just loved it she sang a lot of spirituals as a child and just never wanted to stop which i think is really lovely mm. so um one two skip a few years slash decades she grew up and was awarded a music scholarship to howard university which i think we probably talked about on the podcast before is historically a black university so a lot of african-american caribbean-american greats originated at howard um she graduated with um, a diploma in vocal studies in 1967 and then carried on studying at the peabody conservatoire in baltimore maryland mm. maryland sorry and at the university of michigan yeah do you remember when she graduated memory test no i don't actually 
I know I know when she won the Munich International Music Competition. Oh, you can talk about that in a sec. But I don't know when she graduated. This well, is like a test. In 1967. And right. Then, fast forward just one year into the future, and she goes and wins the Bavarian Radio Corp International Music Competition in 1968. Exactly. Which is ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Well, that would have made her what? 23. 20, oh my God. Yeah. 23. I was thinking. How old are you? I was thinking. I was thinking that she might have been a bit older than that, but no, she's yeah. So she's. Well, I'm twenty two. So that's nice and depressing. Actually, actually, it depends on when the competition was, because if the competition was before September, she would have been twenty two. That's true. Oh my that goodness. Even, oh my god. Oh, that's just not fair, is it? Okay. Well, anyway, that happened. That happened. Um, so then, <laughs> just one year later, so she had a bit of a mad start to her career. One year later, she made her debut as Elizabeth in Wagner's Tannhäuser. And basically, that just spearheaded her operatic career. She then went on to star in Aida in the lead role. Berlioz is Letron. I don't know mm -hmm. if I pronounced that correctly. Um, and Schoenberg's Erwartung, which was actually a first historic performance for the Met Opera because it was the first performance of a single character production. So it was literally just her on stage, basically. Mm. Which was pretty cool. So yeah, pretty cool. She had the most unbelievable start to her career. And I mean, it only really went up, didn't it? She carried on touring, giving recitals of Schubert, Mahler, Wagner, Brahms, Messian, Poulenc and the like Sati around the 70s and by the mid 1980s she was probably the most popular and most highly regarded sopranos in the world so kind of dominated everything really um, yeah then she's also since received honorary degrees from Harvard Juilliard Yale Oxford and there were a list of about 15 universities, I think, that she has, but I shan't read them one out for you. Mm -hmm. um, she had a range of over three octaves, which I thought was immense. Yeah. Yeah, um, three octaves is quite a lot, isn't it? I mean, it that's, that's a huge amount. So Edward Rothstein, who I would love to tell you exactly who he is, but I just liked this quote, so I nabbed it. He's he, a journalist for the New York Times. Oh. Okay, someone has done his research. This is a first. Yeah, I... yeah. <laughs> um, he described her voice as a grand mansion of sound, which I loved, and I'm sure that that is something that will stick with me for a long time. And I think it it sums her voice up pretty well. When you listen to her, it's just massive. That's kind of all you can describe it as, and we'll get on to talking about some of her recordings in a bit. But for now, I just wanted to say a few words about sadder bits. So in 2015, she got a spinal cord injury. Mm. She survived for another four years, but died on September the 30th, 2019, at the age of 74, from septic shock and multi-organ failure, secondary to complications of her spinal cord injury. Mm. At her funeral, which was a big public event, um, people like Lawrence Fishburne, uh, sociologist Michael Eric Dyson, Clive Gillinson from the Met Opera, and 
basically just a lot of famous people spoke and students from Morehouse College, Spelman College and the Jesse Norman School of Arts all performed at the funeral as well. So yeah. speaking of which, the Jesse Norman School of Arts was a tuition free performing arts school, which was founded for students with economical disadvantages so that yep. even if they came from backgrounds with not as high income as most families who managed to get into performing arts they would have that opportunity to get a second to none musical education or performing arts education so that was founded in 2003. she also released her memoir in 2014 Sorry, I'm jumping about all over the place chronologically, but these are just other facts I've managed to find. She released her memoir, which was called Stand Up Straight and Sing, which I love and was slightly foreshadowing with the Stand Up Straight and Sing thing. It just, it, I don't know whether she knew that she was unwell, it may be in mm. 2014, um, and it was only kind of made public knowledge a year later. But yeah. yeah, so that's her life. Oh, and while we're on the subject of amazing things, she's also got five Grammys and the list of uh, the list of awards I've got in front of me range from 1966 to 2018. And I don't mm. even count how many things there are. It's just phenomenal. But yeah. no, there's a lot on there. I think we should, you know, should probably also mention that what sets her apart from other other sopranos of well in 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 the opera genre in general is is how versatile as a singer she was you know you're talking about the three octave range which meant that she could sing music particularly in her later years um she would often sing at jazz festivals in fact she released an album of jazz music i think um in the late 90s or the early 2000s mm. um and you know the she her her alto range was actually very strong and she did have a mezzo quality in, in places yeah and definitely. and then also things like the 200th anniversary of the french revolution in 1989 she sang the marseillaise yeah. draped in this huge like french flag um that kind of versatility as a singer um beyond the opera stage and beyond leader as well i think marks are out as being and, and i think you know often people are quick to say oh well you know she's past it at that point and she's not singing at the full voice but actually it's more i feel like it's more her realizing the potential of her voice as it matures and grows and doing exactly. something different i yeah. i completely agree and given that she started her career when she was 22 i mean mm. most big operatic voices i suppose more so with men but mm. they don't come into fruition until kind of mid 30s early 40s mm. the voice just takes such a long time to develop but because yeah. she seems like she came out the womb with this fantastic and enormous voice, mm. she's just ready to have her career. So her yeah. kind of ability to explore so many genres was just massive compared to most other operatic singers. Yeah. Um, but also, as well as just singing, she was an avid lover of politics. So she, yeah, she growing, yeah, she was growing up around the time of the Jim Crow laws. So she was living under quite a lot of oppression, which she really was very opposed to. She actually considered running for Congress, but yes. um, I've got a nice little quote from her. I considered it and then put it aside. 
I don't think that I would be successful because I wouldn't be able to hold back on what I would need to say about these things. So mm. she actually thought that she'd be too passionate to be a congresswoman, which I love. And I think people like AOC um, have, have kind of done it for her. The world is now ready yeah. for people to just be congresswomen who can say what they want. But maybe yeah. if she was considering it, it, it wouldn't have seemed appropriate. Yeah. But I mean, as a, you know, in terms of that, it's interesting talking about that racial element as well. Um, she credits uh, Marian Anderson, who I believe was the first black woman to sing on the Met stage mm. as one of her kind of men, not mentors, inspirations. Yeah. Um, and I've got a really nice quote here, which sort of says, uh, they made it possible for me to say, I will sing French opera or I will sing German opera instead of being told you will sing Porgy and Bess. And it's one thing to have a set of laws and quite another to change the hearts and minds of men. That takes longer. I do not consider my blackness a problem. I think it looks rather nice. Love it. Which is just so lovely. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, she was a staunch supporter of, I think, Obama and Clinton, I think. And she performed at Bill Clinton's second inauguration and Reagan's second inauguration, which is interesting because she agreed to that, despite the fact that obviously, you know, she's clearly a staunch democrat so so singing at reagan's inauguration is is a bit of a um bit of a departure but she she did it but with consideration for her own politics and actually that was the other thing she set up this project i'm not sure if you saw this about um Cicieretta jones did you read about this i have that written down so Cicieretta jones was the first african-american woman to headline a concert at the main stage at Carnegie Hall in 1893. Yeah. So she was doing this project um, with some people on, it's called Cicerita Jones, Call Her By Her Name. It's about bringing her out into the world because she was known by the stage name of the Black Patty because there was a white soprano called Adelina Patty. So this kind of ties into all these conversations yeah. we've been having over the last few weeks about Black Mozart, Black Marla and all the rest of it. Yeah. So she was actively engaging in a project to try and make her name be out there as more than just a black version of somebody else. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was really, really interesting that she was 30 years of out of slavery for African-Americans in this country. Here she was on the stage of Carnegie Hall is what she said about it, which I think is amazing, you know, and yeah. the fact that she feels or felt enamored sufficiently to talk about, about her and to try and bring her out into the spotlight. That's, I, I think that's it. a testimony to her as a, as a not just as a performer but as a as a woman as a black woman yeah definitely oh she didn't she never got pigeonholed kind of talking about picking rep and stuff like that and as opposed to having rep forced upon you because of the color of your skin mm. she some of her recordings of spirituals are some of her best recordings but mm. she was never pigeonholed into a black singer who will sing Porgy and Bess and a black singer who will sing spirituals. She mm. was, she made sure that she was every bit as much an operatic soprano as any other woman of her time. And yeah. before that, which I think brings us onto her recordings, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you listen to this week? Well, I, one of my favorite, uh, albums of, jesse norman's is there's an album and i can't tell you the name of it but it's it's an album of french of french song i was gonna say french leader and that would have been very much wrong <laughs> um 
Is French, it French chanson, melody? shall we, chanson, shall we yeah. say? Yeah, yeah. Or French, yeah, French melody. Um, and I think the, the reason why is because on there you've got Eric Satie, Debussy, Francis Poulenc. There you go. Um, <laughs> uh, I am a whore for Francis Poulenc, as we all know. Um, it's actually it's actually called Le Chemin de l'Amour, because I think actually I think it's funny because I, I would argue that you know she is very well known for these huge dramatic soprano roles Wagner and, and the like but actually I would say that she's probably the person who's made Poulenc's Le Chemin de l'Amour the most well known of any soprano I think when people because whenever you search on the internet for a recording on YouTube it's hers that comes up sort of seguing into my other favorite recording of hers I have had a little listen to the fabled recording of Strauss's last four songs, absolutely stunning. My favorite recording of Jessie Norman is actually what I was saying about singing songs in a jazz style because she was at the Montreux Jazz Festival. So she has this little sort of quartet, piano, clarinet, drums, and trumpets. Actually, it's actually Mike Lovett, who is sort of very well known in the UK scene. He's the lead trumpeter with the John Wills Orchestra, and I've seen him play in the pits of 42nd street amazing player amazing player <laughs> and they do this vibe on i think on mac the knife they oh, just they yeah. they do a sort of round on mac the knife and then and then they end up on this chord and then everything cuts out and, and then they seg you perfectly into the um into a sort of piano rendition of le chemin de l'amour which then brings jesse in so it's in the same key as it would normally be in and then she sings it an octave down as a jazz, slow jazz ballad. Oh, gorgeous. And it is sublime because like she she speaks some of the words, she have, you know, the phrasing there's no like long phrases, there's none of her, you know, huge vibrato. It's just this sort of husky, breathy, gorgeous voice. And I love it because it, it demonstrates the, the the versatility of the music and her so that's that's probably oh. my favorite jesse norman moment that good i'll i'll find that and i'll pop it in the yes i will absolutely oh okay on, that good. so mine is less exotic than that but right. equally as beautiful yeah. so backstory picture this i am having a crisis mm. <laughs> And is picturing it as something he knows all too well. Um, easy to picture. Easy um, to picture. So, uh, it was about 2 a.m. on mm. what was now the day of the deadline for my MU2400 Purcell course. And I was just I was just having a bit of a block. My brain just mm stopped working and I just couldn't say everything the way I wanted to say it. So I searched for some, um, I searched for some music to inspire me for my essay and so that I could write the absolute best I could about Dido and Aeneas. And I found a Jesse Norman recording of When I Am Laid in Earth. And I kid you not, that one recording played for about four hours 
yeah. just on repeat and it's not a long it's not a long piece of music it's, no it's about five minutes long i think with the bit of reset at the beginning and mm. i just listened to it on repeat because yes i was writing a bit about dido and Aeneas, but because every time you got to those remember me in the middle toward, going towards the end it just my heart just stopped because mm. every single time she sings remember me it becomes more heart-wrenching every time and i think i can say this because i'm very i'm, I'm good at singing early music I'm not very good at singing most other things because i've got a very light voice but we so often hear recordings of early music with people with very light voices with straight mm. very just pure and wholesome but when you've got someone with the voice like jesse norman coming in and singing when i am laid in earth dido's mm. and just transforming it into a piece of music that just makes you cry mm. there's nothing like it and i love most genres for some reason but there was something about hearing jesse norman sing purcell that just got me and mm. um i just listened to it again today before we did the podcast and nearly cried again so took a took a moment and um resumed the pod but so yeah i i would recommend going and giving it a listen and especially if you know dido and aeneas because it's just a different mm. interpretation of it yeah yeah certainly one certainly one that would be different to a lot of contemporary you know Reading. historically formed yeah. readings of it yeah exactly i need to go and listen to that that sounds great because i do love dido and aeneas i i think it's actually uh let me double check yeah it's the number one in the most popular of jesse norman on spotify you don't use spotify though do you but um so no, it's but, uh, one one point one nearly 1.2 million streams and it's right at the top of the list so it's it's loved it's definitely appreciated and um, yeah. it's um the, the recording the album is jesse looking every bit the african yeah. queen that she is yeah, yeah look at that she's she it's just a completely different take it's a completely different reading i don't um i don't know if any of the listeners have heard i know my mum has but um there's an incredible production of hamlet a new production by the rsc where almost the entire cast is black and the queen wears all kind of ethiopian dress and mm. that kind of thing and it's fantastic it's kind of like that it's like a modern take so yeah mm. that's that's my listening has just been died on Linnaeus because that's all i've needed to listen to to just make myself grow so yeah i wonder what the um i wonder is there a um a, like a youtube recording like an actual visual of that i'd love to see i'd love to see what that looks like as yeah. well that's, that would be interesting it would um it's such a shame that can't see her anymore because she's it was it was so recent i kind of didn't realize how recently she passed away I, yeah i very I recent. might have been older than, longer ago than that but yeah i remember her passing away i remember it quite well I, you know i think we were at university and it was like oh god jesse norman has died like that's mm -hmm. a real that's a real big big mm -hmm. name in our yeah. in our industry to have to have passed away um yeah so 
but that's that's what happens isn't it that's kind of how things how things happen these days yeah we're kind of living in that era now where people where people are the people from that era that are so famous are like christopher sort of, as well just yeah yeah so on that true. note are we swiping left or right on jesse norman oh we've got to swipe right i'm giving the most ridiculous swipe right right in the world because yeah i'd be definitely sliding into her dms like oh absolutely <laughs> you'd you'd be double i don't know do, do you double tap people on tinder i don't know why are you asking me like as if i've suddenly yeah, asking you. um i will find out one of these days ben we'll have to get tinder just to see how it actually works it's been so great to be back on the podcast and yes as always just keep liking the instagram keep following the instagram follow it from all your accounts let's just keep spreading it out there and give us likes follows subscribe turn notifications on for instagram posts and for spotify posts or apple music wherever you get your podcasts um because then you'll get a little ping that says new episode and you won't miss a beat you don't want to miss any of this no you don't quality content quality content (laughs) quality content from ellie and me dicking about exactly and who could ask for anything more well so so we're so glad to be back and we are really looking forward to what the next few weeks months decades have in store also i think this is the first time that neither of us have done this from bed so i think that is it is incredible yeah it's remarkable it's because we're recording it in the evening i think we should do this more often ben yeah feels slightly more put together yes we feel more put together <laughs> rather than waking we up welcome, welcome to down <laughs> so thank you so much guys for listening as always yes. and we'll see you for some more top quality banter next week absolutely until then take care TTFA.